everybody. And uh, again, thank Josh for setting up the Zoom shows and and my Talmud Yisrael Yukowski from J Foundations, who has been battling the COVID, but Baruch Hashem, he seems to be getting better. Just he had a a wedding of a cousin that he went to, so he wasn't able to make it tonight. But I want to thank him as well. And anyone that joins or anyone that will get the recording, it should be a schus for everybody. And and uh, I think the title was something about, um, you know, what's going on in the world through the prism of the Torah, you know, which has been a topic we've talked about that many, many times. But I hear, I, I, I didn't want to speak about any specific, um, you know, that we've been talking about the last few times. We spoke about some specific issues. I don't want, I want to talk more general, but tie it into the parish a little bit. But Josh asked before, how's everyone by us? So you know, really just be very, very thankful. You know, the Rabbitson and I, someone asked, we went to, we went to two weddings last night. We had two wonderful weddings just, um, and we really went to give Mazel Tov because, you know, we try to stay careful and it's just so hard, you know, whatever it is. So we don't, don't spend a lot of time. One was in Beit Shemesh and one was the youngest son of an old friend of Ares, Rebel Eliezer Shapiro Zetzal, who was a great, great person to work for us, a man for many years, and was good friends with Rabbi Myers, Rabbi Myers and I were there, and, and we just went to give Moscow's his, his wife, uh, Mrs. Sue Shapiro, marrying off a younger son, we just wanted to be there and to, you know, give her and to give the family just all of our love and our ava that Baruch Hashem Shechiyonu Kiyamon, and then we went back to Shalim and it was freezing last night, freezing, raining, and they were talking about getting a little snow in Jerusalem. It was snowing in the Golan. It's fast, got snow. You saw the pictures, and all, all the Shalimers already, oh, let's say we'll get a little snow. We didn't get it. We didn't get any snow, but, but it was just cold and freezing. But there was a wedding last night by Preshel Shlita, who was um, also a great Rebbe of the Yeshiva, and he married off a daughter, and he's marrying off another daughter in two weeks. and it was just great to go there and uh, to be there and participate in that simcha as well. And like someone met my wife, uh, Rabbi Rappaport. Rabbi Rappaport was at that first wedding. So Rebbetson Rappaport met um, met the Rebbetson and she said, you know, how is it possible that you didn't get COVID? It's like, everyone got it. Everyone got it. You know, the Omicron, like, everyone does not shy it. So the truth is, I'll we haven't gotten it. And, you know, I don't want to tell you, oh, because we're, we did the vaxes and we did the boosters and that's, it's all from Hashem, but we try to take precautions as best as we can. And, um, and who knows, maybe we did get it, but we just didn't, you know, we didn't have any simonim about it. But what's happening in Israel is that the, the Omicron is just like, you know, wild, just gone through every single, you know, person that we know has gotten it just about, um, and but it doesn't seem to be as difficult and now like the government basically is just basically they're throwing up their hands they really can't control it and um hopefully now it's going to start going down they say the numbers are starting going down so we're very thankful that we haven't gotten it you know i go to yeshiva i'm one of the few people that wears a mask inside even though except when i gave the schmooze like i gave today so that's a little bit what's going on so I, I, I um, had a conversation this morning with a, a person who I know who runs a very hush of an organization 
institution, great, great place. It's not necessarily for me to say the name, it's not important. Um, but I want to bring out just the concept. So I had a conversation with him because I had left a message by him already two days ago. He only called me back today. He's busy, he's a busy person. But uh, the point was that um, there was someone that wanted to maybe send a donation to that particular organization. And he called me just to get the information about it. And I just told him, you know, it was wonderful. And, and it was like a Hakar Satov kind of thing. Like, you know, the, a family member had gone there and they just felt that they had a Hakar Satov and they hadn't really expressed it in a, in a, in a real way. And it was many, many years later. And I just, I said it was, so he was like so happy to hear about it. You know, when you get like a, one of those things that someone comes across so many years later, it's just like a wonderful, wonderful thing. And, um, and what I spoke to him about was an interesting thing, which I'm going to bring out with a, with a little bit of a vart, a little bit of a vart. This week's parish, parish is Yisrael. We're all familiar with it. Kabbalah Satorah, Parashinai. And the beginning of the parish is about Yisrael and the um, Yishma Yisrael. You know, there's so many people that have spoken about this. We've spoken about it in the past. Uh, and one of the questions that I saw was, um, was that, you know, it's really like incongruous with what you would imagine that the, the Matan Torah, which was the special thing that was given to Klai Yisrael, that the title of the parsha, the Sedra, is Yisrael. Yisrael, who was a priest. He was a priest. He was a Komer. He was a Chosin. He was a Kohen Midyan. He checked out every single Avodah Zarah. He did tshuva. He became a ger. True, he was the he was the shver of Moshe Rabbeinu. But like, why give him all of these accolades? I don't want to give him all these accolades. But why would you determine the name of the parish of the Sedra? Rabbeinu Zatar is going to be after Yisrael. It's a famous question. Everyone has that question. Another kasha is Vayishma Yisrael. And Rashi comments, he says, Mashmua Shama What was the Shmua that he heard? He heard Kriyas Yamsuf and Mochemus Hamalik. Two things, Kriyas Yamsuf and Mochemus Hamalik. And everyone discusses, like, why only those things? What happened to the Esther Makos? The Pusik seems to say oh, everything that took place in Mitzrayim. We're just going to zero in on one aspect. You know, what was special about Kriyas Yamsuf and Mochemus Hamalik? Like, what was special about those two things? Why did those two things? That got him to be introspective and to come and to make a change in his life. So um, we'll use, again, we'll use some stories. Tonight will be a lot of stories, but the stories will illustrate a little bit of the thought process we want to get, maybe help us in understanding what's going on in the world through the prism of the Torah as well. Um, there was a great, great dinner um, a little bit over a week ago in Baltimore, Nary Yisrael had a legacy dinner in honor of her Sheftel, Sheftel Neuberger's at Sal. So, you know, you know, Josh knows him and I know, I know him and he was the son of the, the, the world renowned personality of Nary Yisrael besides the Rosh Hashiva, which was Rabbi Naftali Neuberger, who I grew up with and I knew him and her Sheftel was his oldest son and her Sheftel continued the legacy. Of Rabbi Nubiger. What was special about Rabbi Nubiger was that Rabbi Nubiger was not only, you know, uh, involved with Neri Yisrael, he was involved with Iranian Jews. He was involved with every single aspect, anything around the Jewish, um, the Jewish world, Rabbi Nubiger was involved. I mean, I can go on. He's like one of the few people the books have not been written about because he's like a, he's like really an unsung hero for so many institutions, so many causes. Um, 
Rabbi Lubiger was came to America in the late 1940s, immigrant um, from Germany, was saved from the Holocaust. Maybe it was earlier. I said late 1940s, could be came earlier. He was a contemporary of my father, I grew up in that house. He ended up not only being a Talmud in there, saw, but Rabbi Ruderman, the Rashiva saw, he had great business acumen. And first of all, he got him involved in the office as a bucher. And then eventually he, um, he became the brother-in-law. He married the Rishishiva's, uh, the Rebison Ruderman's sister, youngest sister, Mrs. Judith Neubiger, Yehudas Neubiger, who was a wonderful, wonderful Asia's Chayel. And then like, everything's like history, you know, he helped build the, the financial base. He helped build the, the physical plant in Nerysol in its first stages when it was in Garrison Boulevard, the old neighborhood, which I grew up in. And then eventually when it moved in the late sixties, early seventies, moved to this beautiful campus on Mount Wilson Lane, which today is just like phenomenal. And thousands and thousands of Talmudim have gone through there. You saw all these. Everyone's been nana from that great, great campus. Just a great campus. It's like, a, like a, how many yeshivas have a campus like that? You know what I mean? Grounds and with, 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 with learning and with base medrash and with ball courts and with dining rooms. And Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi Newberg was the visionary and he put the whole, he put the whole package together. At the Shabbos, of the legacy dinner they had, they made a, a very interesting thing. They got, they got together, even during Corona, they worked on this campaign, a very successful campaign. And I think they had over a thousand near Yisrael Talmud that came for a whole Shabbos. And they, they reenacted, you know, getting back to the yeshiva, you know, with, you know, shiurim from the rabbeim, kumzitzes, and davening in the yeshiva, and then a gala, lava malka, and then a gala dinner. And it was just, they heard it was amazing. They said, I got some of the videos. One of the videos was a, a Q&A that took place on the Matzah Shabbos, and three people were at the Q&A, which was Rabbi Sacher Fran, Rabbi Shragi Nubiger, and Rabbi Berkowitz, all great, Tamir Chachamim, all the great Rabbi Neri Sol. And there was a, um, a uh, Neri Sol Talmud, I think his name is Robbins, could be a mistaken, who was the master of ceremonies, and he presented a few questions in the, on behalf of the alumni, that they felt would be a good thing to be able to speak about. Some of the things that were really fascinating. They spoke about how, you know, Rabbi Shraki Nubiger grew up in the yeshiva, but Rabbi Fran came from Seattle, Washington. Rabbi Berkowitz came from San Francisco, California. Yeah. And it was so interesting. He asked these questions, like, you know, how did you come to the yeshiva? Like, what was it like? You know, and they all said, no, come on, you know, we were living in um, U.S. of the A. We were from, maybe, you know, not from like yeshivish, but we knew, you know, at the day school, whatever was there. Most of them were going to go to public school. And there was some one, they all said they had some influence from some Rebbe, from someone that influenced, had a tremendous influence upon them and somehow got them to go to Nary Israel. And then as Rabbi Fran says, you know, the rest is history. You know, can you imagine if Rabbi Fran would not have, Rabbi Fran said, what did I want to become? I wanted to become the first Jewish uh, Orthodox, you know, Supreme Court Justice in the United States. You know what I mean? There, can picture Rabbi Fran said that would, you know, what would have happened if I would, if I would have ended up doing that? We wouldn't have Rabbi Fran, Rabbi Fran. Yeah. Rabbi Fran volume one, Rabbi Fran volume two, Rabbi Fran world renowned, Rabbi Fran the Talmud Chacham. Joshi was your Rebbe, wasn't he your Rebbe yep. in the Yeshiva? Four years. Four years. So, so 
first of all, it was great to see, and I thought it was interesting just to be able to them to develop that, you know, we're not any different than any of you. you know, I mean, we're the same. You know, we all came from the same type of background. We didn't come from yeshiva backgrounds and look at, we came to the yeshiva and the yeshiva developed us and gave us this, gave us this uh, vision of what we could become and they took it and they ran with it. And then they asked a very interesting question that they really focused on Rib Shragi. And I, I, to me, I related to it because I knew Rabbi Neuberger and it just meant a lot to me to hear. And they spoke about, if you could speak about the founding fathers of the yeshiva, which was Rabbi Ruderman, and part of that was his, what was his father of Naftali, about their triumphs and about their defeats, which I thought was a great, great question. Because a lot of times we focus on the triumphs, the triumphs. And you know, we take a look at these great, great rabbis, and think, oh, you know, everything was great, everything was rosy. So Reb Shragi explained that growing up in his house, he says, his father got a salary from the yeshiva like the Rebbeim. I remember my own father. Remember, the, it wasn't a great salary, you know? It was very, very hard. But there were people that were dedicated to Torah. And they, 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 they put out for Klal Yisrael at a time when it wasn't, wasn't really the, um, the norm. And they were willing to, to be, to live, as we say, Shrag said his own father, he didn't have enough money to support the family. So his wife, the Rebbe said, Nubiger, Judith Nubiger had to go and get a job as a day school teacher. And he said, what did she do? She couldn't afford to hire a babysitter. So what did they do? They dropped her off by her aunt, by her sister, which was his aunt. And I think, I think it was Rebbeson Rudiman. And he was a five-year-old kid and that's what he was doing. His mother was teaching and, his, and, his, and the father was working in the yeshiva. And, but they built, they built at a vision to build. And then he said, when the yeshiva moved to, Neri, to, to Mount Wilson Lane, it was a very big undertaking, multi, multi-million dollar undertaking in those days. But it wasn't like popular today where you have like multi, multi-millionaires who you can tap into and you can get, you can draw funds from. Those days, it really was like, you know, you eked out. You know, if you got a thousand dollar check, you were like, wow, that's like great. You got, you know, $10,000 check. Wow, that was like amazing. But the big numbers, you didn't get those big numbers in those days. Mid 60s, early 70s, people weren't making that kind of money. And they took this tremendous undertaking with, with, with mortgages, everything else that's going on. And, and listen to this. The first Simchas Torah in the yeshiva in Mount Wasalain, Hakafis in the base Medrash, which then was just barely built. I remember it. It, wasn't, it, barely, it was barely finished. And during that kafis, there were two people that weren't there, the Rosh Yeshiva and Rabbi Nubiger. Where were they? They were outside walking around. They weren't there by that kafis. And it was like bewildering. Like, why weren't they there? Okay. The answer is Rabbi Nubiger was under tremendous pressure. Not only did he have to take care of the budget, he had to take care of all the building. He had to take care of all the funding. He had to find the funds and, and he didn't have it. And the banks, everything else, you know, tremendous amount of pressure and his blood pressure was very high and he was floundering. He was floundering. No one knew about this. He didn't tell it to anybody. The one person that he confided with and that was gave, giving him a chizik was the Rashiva. And the Rashiva felt it was important, more important than being in the dancing of the Simchas Torah, the first, 
Chanukas Abayis, so to speak, of the Beis Medrash, what was more important is to give chizik to his brother-in-law. And that's what he did. He walked in and said, we're going to get through it. I'm together with you. So to me, it was like a very poignant uh, piece of uh, history, which is that not every time do things go the way we would like them to go. And, you know, I used the concept, uh, I heard it from my Rebbe Yom Shalom, the famous, sometimes the, the tzaddik falls seven times and he gets up. He falls and he gets up. And I said, you know, for a lot of, I was speaking to the you know, guys of yeshiva today, you know, even for, for Talmidim and for Yungalite, that they should know not every moment of life is it going to be a bed of roses. Not every moment of life is everything going to go, it's like now, Omicron, you know? Everything that we thought, Omicron, Corona, the last two years, we could go through the whole list of litany of everything that we've seen. Presidency, Israel, the new, the new government. We could, you know, we, could, we could get into all the practicalities of it. It's not a bed of roses. Not a bed of roses. But listen to this Gavaldika insight. And I think this is really the answer to why Parshas Yisrael is the, the determining factor, the title of Kabbalah Satara. It's Yisrael. First of all, who is Yisrael? Yisrael is a Komer Lavodazar. He checks out other things. He doesn't get it. He's, he's not an FFB. He's not even about, he's not even a BT uh, as a classical BT. He's, he's, he, he goes into every single philosophy that there is in the world. But he's a seeker. He's a seeker of the truth. And eventually he hears a very interesting message. He hears there's a Kriyas Yamsuf. Kriyas Yamsuf is the, the apex. It's the, the signifies that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is miraculously taking the Jewish people out of Mitzrayim and he's drowning the Egyptians. And it's a gewaldika, gewaldika message that Klai Yisrael is great. But guess what happens? Right after they leave, what happens right after they leave? Nechemes Amalek. Amalek comes along, Amalek pummels, fighting against the Jews for no reason at all except what? To, to stop the hot waters of the scalding the bath of Klayusol to affect the world. No, we're going to show that you, no, you don't be so tight, don't be so uppy about yourself. And guess what? The Muhammad of Amalek doesn't end there. It continues, Muhammad Amalek, door of the door. And I think this is, it could be the Abidar Hadrush. This is the Pshat. Yisra heard two things. He didn't, he said, you know what? Klai Yisrael, they're able to deal with things when they're on a high and they're able to deal with things when they're on a low. They don't stop doing what they have to do because there's obstacles in the way. It's almost like each one is tempering the other. You think about, I said over the story today, Rav Shach, what Rav Shach went through. Rav Shach lost most of his family. Rav Steinemann lost most of his family in the Holocaust. Rav Shach was one of the few people that survived. The Panevichirov, the Ger Rebbe. So many people that went through the Holocaust and lost, and lost everything. But guess what? These people, they didn't, they didn't get despondent about it. They fell. They might have had defeats, but they got up. And they continued. And I think that that's a great message when we think about Kabbalah. What's really Kabbalah? Kabbalah is, I accept the, the whole picture. I accept it when things are going good, and I accept it when things are not going good.
And I think it's a great lesson how we look at what's going on in the world today. You know what I mean? We could take a look and we say, oh, you know, we've had so many difficulties. Everything that we thought to be the norms of the past are not so normal. You know what I mean? Presidencies, prime ministerships, Israel, Kotel, you know, reform. We have we have uh, attacks in 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 places of worship where Jews go on the Sabbath in Texas. All these things are kind of like reminders. Hey, guess what? Not always going to be great. It's not always going to be good. But it doesn't stop us from getting up in the morning and picking up the Gemara and learning the Daf Yomi or hearing Yeshir, or going to Daven, or taking care of my responsibilities as a Jew. Ah, that's a Gavaldic, Gavaldic, that's why the parish is called Parish is Yisrael. Parish is Yisrael is how we take, um, we take Chizuk, how we should be able to look, and how we're going to be Makabal the Torah. There's another Pusik in the parish, which I want to use, and I want to think about this great story that I just saw this morning. Uh, the Pusik says, uh, you're going to be the treasure. Klai is the treasure. We're considered the treasure. We're considered the oitzer. So it's unbelievable, Misa, in today's paper. I sent it to my son-in-law, this in Abram, in Cleveland, because he's very, very close. Uh, we know very, very well. Great Jew. Josh, you might know him. His name is Mr. Gary Torgo. He is Mr. Detroit. Yes. What he does for that community. Partners Detroit. Yeah, he does. He's what he does is amazing. Yeah. He's very involved with politics. He's a very successful lawyer, very successful businessman, but he shares as well. Now, listen to the story that was printed in the Hebrew Yated this morning. The Hebrew Yated, which is not like you know, they're not the NCSY, they're not anything, but you know, Gary's an old NCSYer. And if you know, he's an old NCSYer. So they bring a mice over there, it goes like this um, that. Uh, It was interesting that there was, a, there was an Arachim seminar and one of the Israeli guys that was there at the end of the seminar, he told the, the rabbi that was giving the, um, giving the last session, he says, listen, you know, I have to tell you, I had a great, great weekend and I really heard so many proofs about the truth of Torah and you should know, it really spoke to my heart and I, I, I you know, I like it, you know, I think it's great. But there's one thing that I got to tell you that really like pushed me off the edge which you know, I just don't feel comfortable with, is that you kept on speaking about how, how important this was to know how great we are, that we're like from, we're like from, you know, we come from kings and we're, you know, we're B'nai Malachim and we have a responsibility. We're, our, our purpose is to be a light unto the world. And the guy says, listen, you know what stuff I got going on in my life? I got enough stuff. I got enough anxieties with the stuff I'm carrying. You, you're putting on a whole lot more on me I have to be this like great, great royal person. You know, I'm not, I don't want to deal with that. You know what I mean? If I want to do the thing, I'm going to do the thing. I just want to be quiet about it. I don't want to have to have more responsibilities than I have to have. So the rabbi said, you know what? Your question is a legitimate question. I have to tell you, though, that in the secular world, there, he didn't say the name of the person, but we can name him. Yeah. He says in the, in, in, in the English royal family, there's one of the princes. His name is Harry. Okay, yeah. And Harry decided he doesn't want to live the royal life anymore. He wants out of it. He married a, a common girl, you know, some beautiful actress. And they're now living the life of the prince and the actress. 
but he doesn't want to live in England. He doesn't want to have all the paparazza. He doesn't want to have all the duties. He's finished with it. I don't want to have anything. It's just boring and it's obstructive and I don't want anything to do with it. Now, the secular world, okay, if he's an acceptor, it's not accepted. But listen to this difference between how we look at our lives and the way the non-Jewish world looks at their lives, so to speak. And I'm not here to poke fun at the non-Jews. I'm here just to speak about what we should take a look at who we are. So one day, Mr. Gary Torgo, who today is not only a successful lawyer, he's also a president or vice president. He's a partner in one of the big banks in Michigan. Uh, gets some, an irate phone call from a client. Guy gets on the phone, 91-year-old man, and he starts screaming at him. He says, you're Jewish? Tells Gary, he says, your father should be turning over in his grave. I'm 91 years old, I'm Jewish, and this is the way you treat me. So Gary's you know, trying to get like, what are you talking about? He says, listen, over 40 years ago, um, I was married with my wife and we decided to buy our first house. We need the money for the, to buy the house. We went to the bank, the bank that you're, you're the owner of now, uh, you're the president, and um, we got a loan, loans for $40,000. And we had a, basically had a monthly plan that we had to pay. And that's what we did. For almost 39 years, I've been paying that, that monthly plan. And, and, and I hadn't missed a payment. A little bit over a year ago, my wife got sick with cancer. And I was involved with that very painful experience. My wife passed away. I stopped doing everything. I didn't read my, didn't read my, didn't read my, my, my letters. And it ended up only later on, I got out of my depression. All of a sudden I saw that the bank had sent me a notice that the foreclosing on the house was I'd stopped my payments and I owed money and they gave it into bankruptcy and my, 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 my house is going to be taken away from me. And I can't believe that you're a Jew and you allow this to get done. So in the paper, it says that Mr. Turgo said, uh, I'm going to look into it. And the guy hung up the phone on him. Okay, hung up the phone on him. So Gary checks into it. And he finds out that uh, this man had paid his bills. And then the last year, whatever it was, eight months or something like that, he hadn't paid. It was, it was how much of the bill? The bill was $5,200. So Mr. Gary Turgo went and took his checkbook and wrote out a check for $5,200, gave it to the, manage, to the manager. He says, listen, go speak to the lawyers and uh, you know, get the lien off of the thing and let's just get this thing over. And he, Basically, he just did a chesed and then he wrote a letter to the man. He says, listen, we apologize for the bank. We should, the bank took care of the payment and everything's fine. You should have a healthy life. You should live in your, in your house for many, many years in good health. And that was the end of the story. A yid did a chesed. A yid did a chesed. A little bit over a year later, this person lived in, I, in Ohio. <coughs> Gary gets a phone call from a lawyer in Ohio. And the lawyer says, you know, maybe they knew each other, didn't know each other. He says, you know, Gary, I want to tell you, do you remember the story that took place like a year ago with a man? And Gary, finally, he, he had so many other things going on. He said, yeah, I remember something about it. He says, listen, that man died. I'm the processor, the ex ex executor of his estate. And before he died, he came to me and he made a change in his will. And because he didn't have any children, I don't know exactly what the will was all about. And he said he wants that all the funds that come out of his house, which is now worth $850,000, should go for charity. 
and he wants that the executor should be Mr. Gary Torgo because he was such a nice man. And any uh, charities that he seems fit, I wanted to take care of it. So that's what I'm calling you. So Gary says, do you have any idea what this person you know, had in mind when he, like, did he give charities? He said he was a big lover of Israel and he liked to give charity to Israel. So Gary sat down, he made a list of 10 organizations, Chesed, you know, Hatzola Israel, um, you know, Yatsar, uh, I don't know what it was, and some institutions. And he says, listen, here's a list of these 10 organizations, which I know personally. Send each one a check for $85,000, right? And, um, and the Chesed should be done with this man's money. And that's what happened. So this non-Jewish lawyer turns to Gary, he says, Gary, I want to ask you something. He says, I want to tell you, you know, I am a Bible reader. I'm a Catholic, um, non-Jew. I go to church every Sunday. I've been studying Bible my whole life. And I never truly understood what it means that the Jewish people are the chosen people. But after dealing with you, I really understand fully now why the Jews are the chosen people. It was such a kiddush Hashem that our good friend Gary made. You know, he didn't do it in public. He didn't go announce it. I don't know if it's in any book yet. Maybe I'm the first person to reveal the story. Maybe I'm not the first person to reveal this. Maybe I don't have all the factors, the facts in, in, in check. But really, it's such a great, great mice because it illustrates that in the end of the day, within our DNA is the ability to be B'nai Malachim. And that's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us. HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us to know we can do better. We might fall. We're not always going to be perfect. We have a lot of imperfections in our communities. You know, I spoke about today about a topic that I heard on a podcast recently. And I spoke about it in the yeshiva today. We'll, we'll, we'll throw it out to the island as well. And that has to do, we could have a little more discussion on it as well. Is that Like there's a, a new, new phenomenon that's Maybe it's not so new, but maybe it's becoming a little bit more heightened, um, which is, you know, there used to be the issue of the kiddush clubs. Now there's the VIP kiddush clubs, which is, you know, the $300 bottles of scotches, the going from one kiddush to the next, you know, getting sloshed at the kiddushes, coming home. And this, I heard a shiwa that went around in Flatbush about, New young guys called the Nova Rich guys, and they're making a lot of money, and they make a nice kiddush. They want their friends to come, and then they serve at the kiddushes um, something called brownies. To those of you who might be familiar with that terminology, and one of the guys said to his wife at one of the one of these kiddushes, he says, um, "Why don't you taste some? It's Eidik Shabbos, you know. Why don't you taste some?" And she was like, kind of like frozen, like, you know, what am I, you know, I'm gonna, you know this is what I'm going to do. And it was like, you know, what kind of message are you giving your children if that's what you're up to when you're 35, 40? Well, the kids don't really understand, they're young. So this was one of the discussions that we spoke about, that if we really understand that we're Sugula Mikalaman and that we are supposed to follow in the, in the ways of the ways of the Torah, and to be a mentor, then every person has to make a decision for himself. What's truly the way he's going to be Mekadoshem Shemayim into the world? 
I think these are the two tracks that I wanted to speak about. I think it plays a big role in how we analyze the world today through the prism of the Torah. That's the final result. The final result is that we are, we got to keep on track even when there's Mechemes HaMalek, even when the Sheva Yipok Tzadik, we keep ourselves together. And the other hand, we understand how rich we are, that we are the school of Mikol Amin. I want to give everybody a bracha. It should be a wonderful Shabbos. And Mitz Hashem, we're going to get through all of this. We're going to get a chance to see each other. Mitz Hashem, hug each other, dance at the Kotel, Bez Hashem, Mizbarach. And uh, wishing everyone, it should be, everyone should be healthy. And uh, we should be Zerachim Mitz Hashem to Mashiach coming very, very soon. Thank you very much for listening. We want to thank jfoundations.com. If you could sponsor any of our activities, be another way of addressing and being able to give over Torah to other people. Go on the website and show your support. Thank you very much for joining us.